Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter, continuation of what we've been reading the last couple of weeks. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. 
The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Still earlier that day, he had heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed by King Herod. John's head had been cut off to satisfy the revenge of Herod's wife, who was upset at John for declaring that her marriage to Herod went against Jewish law. And Jesus needed some time alone. But the crowds followed Jesus around the lake and needed healing. So he spent most of the day healing one person after another. And then as the evening was coming, the disciples wanted the people to be sent away so they could buy food. But Jesus insisted that the disciples feed the crowd. When they protested, they only had five loaves of bread and two fish for a crowd of 5,000 people. Jesus took the food, broke the bread, and prayed. And there was enough food to go around with 12 baskets of leftovers. And although, and, and through this demonstration of generosity, Jesus healed many people of their own selfishness and reminded everyone that where the Son of God sees people healed, there will always be enough. Matthew tells us that after the food was given out and the leftovers collected, Jesus immediately made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus knew that the disciples needed a head start on the crowd or they risked getting separated by that mob. And, the, and then after he had dismissed the crowd, Jesus went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. He prayed for hours. When was the last time you prayed for hours? It's so difficult for us to pray for even five or ten minutes, isn't it? When Jesus prayed, he spoke to his Father, and he encourages us to speak to our Father. We don't have to be formal. We don't have to use these and thous. We simply need to speak as a small child speaks to his daddy, telling him about our day and asking for advice and guidance, and even perhaps a list of chores for the next couple of days. Jesus understood from the beginning that his mission was going to face opposition, opposition of two sorts. The most common opposition was the ordinary resistance of ordinary people to change. For most people prefer the routine dreariness 
of their same old, same old days to change. Most people like to live in a rut, a grave with the ends knocked out. Most people prefer to continue the way things are to any sort of change. For in that day and today, most people have found that change is difficult. It causes us worry and fear and pain. And that's why we insist on continuing to watch our bodies deteriorate with age and lack of exercise, for exercise always involves some pain. And this is why teenagers complain so much. Their growth, their spiritual, physical, and mental growth involves pain. And this is why we keep doing what we've been doing for years. For climbing out of a rut is change. And change means short-term pain even if it means long-term gain. Change means fear and worry. Change means that we must wake up and be alert instead of remaining drowsy and sleepy in our rut. Of course, if we stay in a rut long enough, the ends of the rut fill in and our rut becomes indeed our grave. Are you in a rut? And so Jesus faces opposition in his mission by ordinary people who hated their life as it was but were too afraid of change to accept the changes that he was bringing. And so they called him a devil, and they said that he had a demon, and they picked up stones when he spoke of being close to his father, their father, our father. The opposition of most ordinary people was a passive sort of opposition. The opposition we get when we go to waken a teenager on a Saturday morning. Don't bother me, the people said. And Jesus understood that few people are more, are more mature than teenagers. You see, maturity understands and accepts that change happens. His second opposition was more active. He had met this opposition face to face after John had baptized Jesus by the Jordan. This opposition, Satan, the devil himself, had tried to directly prevent Jesus from his mission by tempting him with food and power and with misinterpretations of Holy Scripture in the desert while Jesus was fasting. But Jesus had overcome those temptations, and now the devil began working with more devious methods and evil men and women like Herod and his wife. He began hurting Jesus indirectly. Herod and his wife had hurt Jesus deeply through grief by killing Jesus' cousin John. And now, finally, that day on the mountainside, after all day healing people and feeding people, Jesus finally had the chance to ask Father what this meant and what should be done to keep his mission going. It was a simple mission, but it was difficult to achieve. For Jesus' mission was no less than to change the course of human history, to change the world, and to change the hearts of people of the world so that they would stop being so selfish, hating each other, and being disobedient to God, but would instead obey God and love God and love one another. For if they did not change, all would be lost his mission was to save all these lost people, you and I. But if they did change, they and us would be welcomed home by Father. Jesus prayed until late in the night. 
But he was calm and cool and had a plan when he came down from the mountainside. The people, they were long gone. The disciples were long gone on Peter's boat sailing across the lake. And Jesus walked to the shore. There he could see in the distance the boat sailing against the wind slowly with the waves buffeting against it, keeping all the progress very slow. So what's a rabbi to do when your ride has left you behind? And you don't want to walk about 10 miles around the lake to meet your students the next morning. Well, shortly before dawn, in that gray light that illuminates the world before the red fingers of dawn rise in the eastern sky, in that gray light when strange things can happen that don't happen in bright sunshine, in that time between darkness and daylight, Jesus began to walk across the lake, walking on top of the water toward the disciples. It was an appropriate time for this, for darkness metaphorically filled the earth. Evil had struck down the point of light that was John the Baptist. But Jesus, the bright and morning star, had yet to shine forth in his great radiance, bringing light to the darkness of the world. But it was time for his disciples to recognize that a new day was dawning, that the opposition could be defeated, that the time of the devil was coming to a close. And so Jesus walked in the early morning light, that gray light out to the disciples on the boat that was fighting the wind and the waves. When has Jesus come to you in the gray darkness before the dawn? In that gray light, the disciples spotted him. They saw something different out there on the wave, something very different, a change in the mist in that gray time, but what they saw when they saw his figure walking toward them on top of the water was so out of their comfort zones, they declared, it's a ghost, and they were terrified. Change almost always leads to worry and fear and being terrified for many people. But the ghostly figure yelled back to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, and the voice was Jesus's. So everyone looked to Peter, for Peter was their brave, courageous ship's captain. Peter was their leader. What would Peter say and do? Well, Peter yelled at the apparition, the ghostly figure in the mist, in that gray light on the foggy lake, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And the figure replied, come. Have you ever noticed that a boat is shaped like a rut, like a grave, long and narrow with a depression in the middle? Many people have died in boats over the centuries, and Peter knew this. Peter had never walked on water before, but the man he knew as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, was walking on water before Peter. And so Peter wanted to get out of his boat, his rut, his grave, and try something Jesus was asking Peter to do. And so Peter climbed down out of the boat, stood on the water, and then he began to walk toward Jesus. Peter walked on top of the water, staring at the ghost he now was convinced was his rabbi, his teacher, Jesus. This ship captain, this man who had lived most of his life since he was a teenager on the lake with his fishing boat, this man who had seen ships sink and men drown on that very lake, he, Peter, was walking on the water. 
Peter looked around and began to walk toward Jesus. He was walking on top of the water. And then he saw that the wind was blowing, the mist in swirls around him, and the waves were wetting his feet. And he realized what he was doing. And men are not supposed to walk on water, especially ship captains. And so he became afraid. And as soon as he became afraid and remembered that he could not walk on water, he began to sink. But he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And they stood together on the water for a moment. Jesus gently teased him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. And then those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This was a defining moment for the disciples. After all, how would you explain this miracle even today with all of our technology? How would you explain a man walking on water? Of course, this event is not new to us. It's all in our culture. It's so much a part of our culture that we say that someone who can do great things can walk on water and imply that he or she is almost worthy of worship, a divine person like Jesus And so we more often point out that a person who has been praised tremendously for what they've done cannot walk on water to bring them down a notch, to make sure people remember that they're still human beings with all our flaws. But you know, there's something that we always forget when we tell the story. We always tell of Jesus walking on the water, but you know, two people walked on water early that morning. Jesus and Peter walked on water. If we take the words of Jesus at face value, the only reason Peter began to sink was because he didn't have the confidence to continue walking on the water. If we listen to what Jesus said, if Peter had not doubted, he could have walked around the boat and even across the lake. And by extension, so could the other disciples. They could have walked on water too. And continuing further, so could you and me. We could walk on water if we could forget that we're not supposed to be able to walk on water. We simply need to remember that the power is there if we keep our focus on Jesus. Today I asked several of you to come and join us up front singing, and you said you can't sing. Why not? Keep your focus upon Jesus. I look out when, when we're singing songs, and I see many of you aren't singing. Why not? Keep your focus on Jesus. Can you pray in public? Of course you can. Keep your focus upon Jesus. Can you preach a sermon? Why not? Keep your focus on Jesus. Can you lead someone to Christ? Of course you can. Keep your focus on Jesus. Jesus walked on water. We say, of course, Jesus could walk on water. He was God on the earth. But Peter also walked on water. And Peter was an ordinary man. No magic. He was a fisherman. He was a loud-mouthed, brash, reckless man whose main differences from other men was his tendency to want to try new things, to say what was on his mind, and to trust that he was safe whenever he was around Jesus or doing what Jesus asked him to do. You can be that person too. 
Aren't you safe whenever you're doing what Jesus wants you to do? Peter had no magical powers. Peter had no special abilities. Peter was just a man who trusted Jesus completely. And so Peter walked on water that morning. There are many things in this world that each of us could do if we chose to trust in Jesus and stopped telling us that we ourselves that we can't do it. Now, this is not unlimited. First, we've got to be doing something that's good for the kingdom of heaven, for the glory of Jesus, but not for our glory. Peter did not intend to demonstrate his own power. Instead, he simply wanted to assure himself and the rest of the disciples that this was truly Jesus, that Jesus could walk on water. And then Peter decided he wanted to obey when Jesus said, come. Next, we need to hold on to our tremendous faith that this event can happen. Peter's walk demonstrated the power of Peter's faith in Jesus. His faith gave him the power. When his faith diminished, he began to sink. And it's important that this lesson of faith and power was seen by the disciples and written down. A similar thing happened when the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment at another time and was healed. Jesus said to her, your faith has healed you. He didn't say, I healed you. He said, your faith has healed you. The third requirement is that, my, is that any observers who are present must be able to be led to Jesus if the miracle happens. Every time I've seen a miracle happen, someone has shown extraordinary faith, and there have been observers who could be convinced by that miracle. Once again, these miracles were not focused upon the person involved in the miracle, but they were instead focused upon what Jesus could do. And so can we walk on water? Maybe, if Christ desires it. More generally, can we do extraordinary things for Christ? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit will tell you when something can be done, when it will help the kingdom, and it's for the glory of Jesus, not your glory. And when observers can be led to Jesus by the miracle. Now, tying in, I need to say a few things about our other readings. First, in our Old Testament reading, after Elijah and and God had defeated the priests of Baal on top of Mount Carmel in the battle of the gods. He was a wanted man. So he ran from Mount Sinai and hid on the mountain of God in a cleft in the rock, in a cave. After hearing God's spirit speak to him, Elijah told God why he was there. He felt he was the only true God worshiper left. And we often think that everybody is going away from God. But God reminded Elijah that day that there were 7,000 people who still worshiped God and had not bowed down to Baal, the false god worshiped by Queen Jezebel. We need to always remember that the kingdom of God is growing. We're under attack, yes, but Christianity's come a long way from the day that Satan attacked Jesus by having his cousin John the Baptist killed. Don't believe the words you hear about the so-called decline of Christianity. For while particular churches and denominations may decline and close, Christianity is growing fast around the world and even in America. The red line at the top is Christians. 
For Christianity is not truly measured by how many people claim a particular religion or church, but by how many people are following Christ, trying to live lives of obedience to Jesus and his commands. About 25 years ago, when we lived in the Atlanta suburbs, Sandra and I heard that several of the local Walmarts were being closed. And those doors did close. But about the time they closed, Walmart opened up huge new stores in the middle of all those other stores, two huge new stores that each sold twice as much as the five stores that had closed combined. Walmart had determined that their stores were too tiny to survive as the world around them changed. And yet, Walmart also began opening up in smaller communities, small neighborhood stores. And it's the same with our churches. If you consider that all churches are just different branches of one huge operation, that worldwide Christian church universal with over a billion followers, then is it really bad when a handful of struggling churches close while big new megachurches open up with five times the attendance? That's happening in towns and cities across our, county, our country. All the old denominations are slowly dying while independent churches are thriving. In fact, one important survey of churches, when closely analyzed, found that they had ask an important question about which religion people belong to, like Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, and they misinterpreted the answer. You see, many people who attended independent megachurches answered none, because they didn't belong to one of these denominations. But the press release initially reported these people had no religion, but they were attending distinctly Christian churches. It took a couple years for them to get to the heart of what had actually happened there. There's simply a movement today from small churches to large churches and a movement toward much, much online involvement after COVID. Every week we consistently have over 100 people opening our online sermons and reading or listening to them. Churches that succeed are the right size for their community and are willing to change and reach out to the people around them. Now the other thing I want to say is from our reading from Romans. Paul says that the Lord richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on to say, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Friends, most of you have a stable income, but it doesn't occupy all your waking hours. You can work eight hours a day and then go home, or you may be retired. Folks, preaching doesn't just happen in church pulpits. Every nursing home in this county has people who want sermons spoken to them and Bible studies conducted. Many restaurants, most restaurants in this town, have servers who need to make friends with good Christians who will share bits and pieces of Christian wisdom with them every time you show up. If you'll go regularly at the same time, the unbusy times of the day, and make friends, you can be that person preaching to them in a quiet, simple conversation. The YMCA and Elite have classes for people 
where lost souls attend and you could talk to them. The libraries have groups that meet. Community groups like Farm View and Lions Club would like you to join with them and speak to them about Christ. And in particular, there's a low-cost grill at WVUP where the students gather and can be met. And Denise works there every day. And she would like people to come over and talk to her and talk to the students. And then there are the online groups. All of these groups and places are places where you can begin to make friends and let your Christianity glow a bit. You can be the beautiful feet who bring good news that Paul talks about. You can either overtly preach or you can have quiet conversation where you can lend a listening ear, where you can give godly advice and slowly, slowly build up those relationships of trust which allows you to frankly speak about how Jesus can help your new friends. It takes patience. It takes a long time to earn people's trust. But that's what we're called to do. Can you do it? Could Peter walk on water? Keep your focus on Jesus and remember that you, if you're with him, nothing truly bad can happen. You might get your feet wet, but you won't drown. Your feet may fail, but Jesus won't fail you. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the Give tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.